0: If you would, turn with me to Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5. What we've been learning through this letter is to keep in step with the gospel. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, that we want to keep in step with the gospel. Now, in order to do that, we have to know what the gospel is. And that's what Paul has been hammering home, really, for the first four chapters of this letter. We have to understand the gospel, that Jesus' life and death and resurrection really are enough to make us right with God. Right? We do not make ourselves right with God by doing good or by trying harder. I likened it to a group project in school where the straight-A student did all of the work, and you got all of the credit. That's the gospel. You might say, well, that's not very fair. Not if you're the straight-A student. Um, that's why it's not fairness. It's called grace, and we're very grateful for it. We receive that gift, the gift of Christ's righteousness by God's grace through faith. But now uh, we begin to move into what it looks like to stay in step with that gospel. How do we live in light of that gospel? We've been hammering that message like Paul for these four chapters. And maybe you're beginning to think, OK, Kevin, I get it. I understand. Right. We, uh, you know, can can we move on? This is getting just a little bit redundant. I feel you. There are two answers to that. Can we move on? And the first one, probably know I'm going to say this, is no, we can't. Uh, Because you and I are so allergic to grace. We, We are so prone to default back to trying to earn God's favor if we don't keep the gospel of grace in front of us. We really do keep going back to this idea that I have to prove myself, that I have to earn my spot. And so in one sense, no, we can't move on. But if by that you mean, if you you mean by moving on, okay, I understand I I cannot earn my place with God. But because of his grace, I want to live for him. How do I do that? Well, that's where Paul is going to go now. Right. Uh, that's where he's going to spend the next two chapters of this letter. And so we'll do that with him. So we're going to we're going to read the beginning of his message uh, in terms of putting this into practice from Galatians 5, 1 through 15. And I would say, if you would uh, grab your Bible, keep your Bible open, read along with me. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in the rack in front of you. Grab it. You should uh, find our, today's passage on page 974. But not, don't just read along. I would encourage you to write. Uh, the way that we learn best, right? We are, God has made us embodied creatures. Uh, and so we actually learn and absorb more when we put more of our senses to work. So we want you to use that space in the bulletin or a journal or something, write, draw pictures, uh, but, but engage, uh, engage your whole body. Uh, ...in this act of learning, and then when you go to growth group on Wednesday night, you'll have uh, some food for thought. You can discuss what you've read and heard this morning. So let's give our attention uh, to Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Paul writes, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's word. And like him, it is good and it is holy and it is perfect. And he gives it to us because he loves us. And so while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding it. Father, we pray with the psalmist that the words of my mouth and the meditation, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, whatever is of me, I pray, would be forgotten. But that whatever is of you would find a place in our hearts, that like a a seed it would be buried deep down, and it would grow, and it would bear much fruit. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have uh, driven down a dirt road in Chilton County, then you are familiar with the ditches. Ideally, those ditches belong on the outside of the road. Sometimes in Chilton County, they're not there. They're in the middle. But ideally, right, ditches are on the outside of the road. A road road falls away to the right and to the left. And while water is supposed to travel down into those ditches, you are not. And so we, we often say, right, keep it, keep it between the ditches. And in essence, that's what Paul is telling us in this first part of chapter 5. He's telling us that there are two ditches to avoid in the Christian life, one to the left and one to the right. Now, often we think about the Christian life as avoiding the left, uh, of avoiding avoiding sin, being, avoiding unrighteousness. And that is, that is one ditch. But there's also a ditch on the other side that Paul warns us about first. And what he tells us is that true Christian freedom is found in staying out of both of those ditches and driving the road between the two. Freedom. Now, Paul's used that word. It's an important word in this letter. It's a crucial word in this passage, Look again at verse one. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Christ sets us free so that we will experience freedom. But we need to ask the question, what does he mean by freedom? You have to ask that question every time the word freedom ever comes up. Free to what should be the question. Am I free to think and to say and to do whatever? Well, Paul answers that by showing us that two things. One, he shows us what Christ frees us from, which is the burden of the law. But also what Christ frees us to, which is to love others by serving them. That is the road of Christian freedom. Christ frees us from the burden of the law. Ironically, so that we can then fulfill that law by loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. So let's talk about those two things. Let's talk about those two ditches. First, let's talk about what it means to be freed from the burden of the law. And this is the ditch to the right. This is the ditch of legalism. Legalism says, do this and live. And that's really what Paul has been hammering on for the letter, the most of this letter, right? When we, we fall into this ditch, when we try to justify ourselves by the law, right? When we think that God accepts me because I am a good person and I've made all the right choices. That's legalism. And it will kill you. Why? Well, look at how Paul describes it here. Verse 1, stand firm in that freedom that you've been freed to. Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's used that word slavery before. That's an important theme in this letter. And here he calls the law a yoke of slavery. What is a yoke? We're not talking about an egg, right? We're talking about that device that shackles two animals together, maybe ox, maybe donkeys... But it impedes their freedom so that they will move in one direction. They are not free to roam about the field. They are yoked together to go only one way. They are, you might say, enslaved. That's that's how Paul describes the yoke of the law. But it's even more serious than that. Look at verse 2. He says, now look. To emphasize, he says, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What does he mean by that? Remember, these are Jewish false teachers, and they were telling these non-Jewish Christians that, in essence, they had to become Jewish. They had to be circumcised. They had to follow the law in order to be accepted by God. Now, they weren't saying, and this is important, they weren't saying, don't believe in Jesus. That would have been obvious, right? The Galatian Christians would have been like, oh, well, these people aren't Christians, so we don't have to listen to them. No, these false teachers claimed to be Christians. They weren't saying, don't believe in Jesus. They were saying, add circumcision, add the law to your belief in Jesus. Paul says, if you do that, Christ will be of no help to you. Christ will be of no benefit to you. Why? Look at verse 3. Because if you go that route, you're not adding to Christ. You're actually separating yourself from Christ. You're obligating yourself to keep the whole law. Paul says, if you go down that road, you've got you to gotta keep the whole thing. You can't take, right, uh, look at verse 4. He says, you are severing yourself from Christ by trying to earn your way by the law. Here's what he's saying. In in other words, by trying to add something to Christ, you are saying that Christ is not enough. Christ is not enough to save you. That you have to add to his work. You got to do a little extra. And what that really means is that you're not trusting him at all. You're trusting yourself and the result, Paul says, is you've fallen from grace. Right? You're no longer trusting grace, you're trusting yourself. Paul's very clear. He's very stark. He's very hard. He's saying you can't pick and choose. You can't have some of Jesus and some of your obedience. You're either all in Christ or you're all in the law. Either Jesus saves you or you try to save yourself but you can't have it both ways so how do i know if i'm doing that how do i know if i'm in the ditch of legalism one you're proud and judgmental bob looks like the model church member he'd taught some sunday school classes he'd even been nominated as a leader But at home, he was harsh and demanding of his wife. He was verbally and sexually abusive. If you got to know him, he often talked about the lack of holiness in other people's lives. But when I asked him about his own holiness, he couldn't really answer that question. He also avoided accountability and transparency... When what was going on at home came to light, we confronted Bob. He further isolated himself. He cut himself off from the community. He refused to submit to anyone other than those that he agreed with. And then also, you might know you're in the stitch if you shift the blame to others. He said, Bob said that the problem was that we preached cheap grace and we didn't talk about repentance enough. Oddly enough, he leveled that criticism at me after I preached a sermon where the whole second point was devoted to repentance. And in a worship service where we regularly repent every Sunday. When I pointed that out to him, he said, well, I wasn't really paying attention to the sermon. You see, the legalist thinks that he's obeying the law when in reality he's not. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He's talking to the Galatians who are now being tempted to embrace the law. That word hindered, he says you were running well. That word hindered means to have someone cut in on you. Um, if you've ever run or dirt biked or driven in a race, anything like that, a bicycle, um, what the the image there is one of somebody cutting in front of you, cutting you off on the interstate, right? Paul saying you were doing so well, somebody who cut in on you, who cut in on you, who hindered you from obeying the truth. It's interesting that when they were convinced of grace, they were obeying just fine, Now that they're being tempted to go back to the law, they're not obeying. You think, see, legalism actually hinders you from obeying the truth. You think you're obeying when you're really not. Why? Because legalism, as much as it talks about cheap grace, legalism actually is just cheap obedience. It lowers God's law to my own set of manageable standards. By which I can then feel good about myself and judge you. That's the obedience of legalism. God's law is flattened. Holiness is flattened. And it's easy for me to keep. And what's the danger of living in that ditch Paul says in verse 10, well, one, he says in verse 8, that the, the persuasion to do that is not from him who calls you. That's not coming from God, but it's permeating the whole church, just like yeast permeates the whole loaf of bread. And yet Paul says, I have confidence that you will take no other view and that the person who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Indeed, Paul Maybe, maybe Paul should read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It turns out, turns out that Jesus and Paul were pretty harsh with Pharisees and legalists. Paul says, you know, these guys are making such a big deal out of circumcision. I wish they'd go ahead and cut themselves all the way off. Paul says, they'll bear the penalty, whoever they are. If we want to live in that ditch, if we want to live under the burden of the law, we will find ourselves... Under the judgment of God. That's the ditch of legalism. And the beautiful thing is Christ sets us free so that we don't have to live there. We no longer have to live under the burden of the law. We're freed from its guilt. Right? And what we're about to talk about, we're not free to, to, to live however we want. But we are freed from the guilt of the law. We are freed from its sentence of judgment and condemnation. That's what Christ has freed us from. But what's on the other side of the road? Not only does Christ free us from the burden of the law, but he also frees us to love others. And that's the second thing. Paul warns us of an opposite danger in verse 13. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh, those sinful desires. Even if you're a Christian, right? You still, uh, the Bible says we still have to battle our flesh. Those those desires that were there before the Holy Spirit um, caused us to be born again. Their desires that are still there. Those sinful things that we still want to do. Paul says, "Look, you're freed, but don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh, to pursue those sinful desires, to satisfy yourself." we can call this ditch, it's the one on the left, we call this ditch the ditch of license. And this is the person who says, grace frees me to do whatever I please. And you may have experienced, uh, you may have been around Christians like this. It's interesting, uh, in, in seminary, uh, we would be around both. And if we're honest, we tend to veer in one direction or another. Right? Right? But these are the people who would say, like, hey, I'm free. Grace, baby. I can do whatever I want. Bob Flayhart at Oak Mountain Press calls this uh, hot tub Christianity. I'm just chilling, man. Back up off me. Right? Uh, what happens is people usually end up here as an overcorrection from legalism. They grab the wheel, they know that, they know. They've experienced uh, the burden of legalism, and so they grab the wheel and they whip it all the way over to the other side, and they can end up in the ditch of license. But as many of us can affirm, that leads to a different kind of slavery. Tom shared with me how he left his home early to get away from his dad, who was very controlling, very authoritative, overly strict, And he decided he was just going to do things his own way. And what happened is over time he found himself struggling with various forms of addiction uh, and guilt and darkness. He had thrown off the yoke of the law only to put on the yoke of sin. So how do I know if I'm living there? One way you can know is... You're destructive rather than constructive. Look at verse 15. Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed, destroyed by one another. What happens if I'm living in the ditch of license is I'm I'm pursuing my own ends. I'm, I'm serving myself. And that means if you get in my way. I'm going to bite and devour. I'm going to say things that are hurtful. I'm going to to neglect. Right? Another way that you know if you're living here is you're proud but dismissive. And so when someone questions how you're using your freedom, you call them prudish or old-fashioned. You might even call them a legalist. It's interesting to find how people who are in the left ditch can be just as pharisaical as the people on the right. If you're living here, you may avoid the means of grace, what we call spiritual dis- disciplines. Right? You don't need the word. You don't need prayer. You don't need the gathering of the church. Those things aren't as important. Also, you avoid accountability. But this time, it's more out of a sense of shame or guilt. But Paul says, that's not the freedom you were called to. In fact, it's really no freedom at all. Christ doesn't set us free to indulge ourselves. He says, Christ sets us free so that we can use our freedom to love and serve one another. Through love, serve one another. What does that look like? Verse 14. He says, The whole law, God's whole law, is fulfilled in one word, one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, here's here's the irony of Christian freedom. I've been freed from slavery to the law so that I may now make myself a willing slave to others. Isn't that wild? I've been freed from the burden of the law so that I can, Paul says serve, but it's the same word, slavery, so that I can enslave myself to someone else. Because I no longer have to prove myself to God, I am now free to love and serve other people. John Stott puts it this way, he says, Christian freedom is service, not selfishness. That's what we were freed to. I like to put it this way, in Christ, the law is no longer a sword at my throat. Now, outside of Christ, it is. The law law is a sword at my throat, telling me that I must do or die. But once I'm in Christ, the law is no longer a sword at my throat. Now it is a a tool in my hand. A tool that I can use to benefit other people. And so the question here is pretty easy. How do I live in this freedom? Well, let's regularly ask ourselves, how can I love and serve my neighbor? That's what it means to walk in the road of Christian freedom. Now... My first car was a 1990 Ford Tempo. There's a reason Ford stopped making that car. All right? Uh, It had a little drift to it. All right? Uh, You you couldn't hold the wheel straight because the car was going to... Like, you had to always kind of be pulling, right? Especially as you got faster and faster, the car drifted more and more. And so, all of us, like my Ford Tempo, tend to drift... In one direction or the other. Some of us drift to the left. Into license. We tend to celebrate freedom. And usually like I said. Those those people have come out of. uh, An overly strict. Or legalistic environment. And so they tend to move more. In this direction. Others. We tend to drift to the right. Towards legalism. And usually the people who drift in this direction uh, are those who came to faith later in life. They've, they've seen the emptiness of sin. They've experienced what a dead end that is. They love the fact that they've been saved by grace and they want to honor God as much as they can. But what, that, what happens is they tend to overcorrect and be harsher, right? It's, it's like a pendulum on a clock swinging back and forth. And usually it goes from generation to generation. And so we want to try to freeze that pendulum in the middle. So whatever direction you drift into, how do we correct? How do we not overcorrect? The answer, of course, is the gospel. If I'm a legalist, what does the gospel tell me? It says, relax. Jesus is enough. So, If you have a tendency to drift into law-keeping as a way to make God happy, what you need to hear is, God is already happy with you in Christ. Relax. Jesus is enough. But if you tend to drift in the other direction, what does the gospel say to the licentious person? That's the fancy word. What does it say to the person who celebrates their license a little too much the gospel says come on jesus is better don't pursue that dead end jesus is better and so really the answer to both is jesus is enough and that's what paul says look at verse five where does true righteousness come from He says, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That we're not working for righteousness, we're waiting for righteousness. That one day, someday, when we see Jesus face to face, we will receive the gift that he has promised. We will receive fully that righteousness which we have now by faith. We will will receive it then by sight. And so in the meantime, what do we do? We live by the Spirit. Not by the law, but by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul will take us through in the remaining two chapters of Galatians, what it means to live by the Spirit. But as we, as I close up this morning, I want to point you back to the hymn we sang just before this, Rock of Ages. I love that hymn, because at the end of the first verse, it talks about the double cure. That Jesus is the double cure for our sin. He saves us from wrath, and he makes us pure. He's not just one or the other, he's both. And when we follow him by the power of the Spirit, we live in true Christian freedom. If you haven't experienced that before... I'd love to talk with you more about that. Let's grab coffee or lunch this week. Amen. As we move towards our prayer time, uh, this is a, a five-Sunday month, and so uh, our normal prayer guide doesn't have an entry for this month, and so uh, I chose uh, Romans 1, 16, and 17 as our prayer focus. This is the verse that began Martin Luther on his journey uh, towards what would become the Protestant Reformation. He was reading Romans one day when he read this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And this is, this is what set Martin Luther on his trajectory. As it is written, the righteous shall live not by following everything the church tells me to not by doing everything that i have to do he says the righteous shall live by faith that was the that was what turned the world on its head in the time of the protestant reformation so this morning we're going to pray that god would do the same thing again that god would use the power of the gospel the power of the gospel to bring renewal and reformation to his church and to the world So let's pray that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. This being Reformation Sunday, we thank you for all of those who came before us to ensure that we would have access to your word. We thank you for men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and others, John Knox. We thank you for Jan Hus who came before Martin Luther. Lord, those who through the sin